wanted to know. Not Houston, totally different. Not Houston, but the Longhorns, have, I have them winning. So, so far, so good. All right, we'll move on to something better, all right? Um, every now and then, I, I get the privilege, and it is a privilege, of sitting down with someone that is starting to preach or, or trying to figure out how to preach or, or whatever, and I get to sit down with them and talk to them a little bit about what goes into all that. And there is, a, there is a discussion within that arena on how to interpret Scripture. Like, how do you interpret Scripture? And so, <clears throat> most of the time they'll come in and they'll say, well, we interpret Scripture literally. I'll tell them, no, we don't. We, it's normal. <laughs> it's not literal, it's normal. I know that your literal means normal, but it's not literal. Literal means that if Jesus says he's a door, that means Jesus is a door with hinges. And that's not it. It's a picture are you tracking? So it's a normal interpretation because the Bible is a book of literature. It has poems in it, has parables in it, it has historical documents in it, it has letters in it. I mean, it's, it's the gamut of a literary book. Um, and so it's a normal interpretation. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit. And I will, I will say, look, when you, when you go to interpret Scripture, the way that you approach Scripture is with your heart in mind. Like you should never approach the scriptures without your heart in mind, ever. Because what happens oftentimes in like uh, people that are being educated to, to do what I do, like to preach and teach and stuff like that, what happens is they go for knowledge and they approach it as a book where they're going to gain knowledge and more facts about what the Word of God actually says, and they grow in their knowledge, but that knowledge never really hits their heart. Especially if you approach the book trying to study the Word of God by just trying to gain knowledge from it, like facts, right? And so your approach in Scripture, when you're going to interpret, is you approach it with your heart because you're reading it to learn something that will move your heart and change your heart into something better. And if you haven't made it to the point where you can read Scripture and you study it enough and, and you read the Scripture and just didn't move your heart, you really haven't read it enough because you, you need to dive deeper because that Scripture is designed to move you on the inside. So whenever you're preparing a sermon, you need to look for the thing that moved your heart because that's the thing that you should be preaching. People do not really need just a lot of like facts from the Bible. What they need is something that changes their heart. And so when you, in your personal study, when you're reading scripture, when you're studying it, when you're doing your devotions, when you approach the scripture, you need to approach it with your heart in mind. Like I'm looking for something today that is going to move my heart and change my heart. That's what I'm looking for. And the word of God moves your heart in, in several different ways. Um, it challenges your heart. Have you ever had your heart challenged by Scripture? It's just challenged, like, oh, that's a challenge. It's something I should do. I'm challenged to do it, right? And it moves your heart toward that challenge. Um, you're comforted sometimes by Scripture, aren't you? Like, you read Scripture, and it just comforts your heart. It's like a healing balm on the inside of your heart, and you're really glad that you spent some time in Scripture today because God really spoke to you. So when you, when you go toward Scripture, 
and you're doing it with your heart in mind, to interpret with your heart in mind, you're looking for it to move you in those ways. Um, convicting. If you have read Scripture and have never been convicted of any sin at all, you are reading it the wrong way. You're just reading it the wrong way. At some point in time, Scripture should convict you of something that you are doing wrong. It should touch your heart. And if you're not approaching your Scripture interpretation with your heart, it, that's not going to happen. Because I can read Scripture with just knowledge in mind, and it never touches my heart. I'm never convicted. But if you approach it with your heart, yeah, I'm convicted of that. Man, that's something I did wrong. I really need to change that. Um, when you approach it with your heart, your heart is sometimes moved because you're encouraged. Scripture encourages you. And so you read and you become encouraged by that particular passage. So there's different ways that when you approach looking at Scripture with your heart in mind, that the Scripture will actually move you in a particular direction, right? So <clears throat> I have a Peanuts comment. You might think it's funny. You might not think it's funny. I think it's funny. But nonetheless, here it is. Here's a Peanuts comment. And it says this, Theology and the Dog. He's writing a book. You know, Snoopy's always writing a book, some type of book. This time it's Theology and the Dog. And it says, as it says in the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, next screen. What does that mean? Have you ever had a passage of scripture that you're like, what in the world does that mean? Like you read it and you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm a little bit confused. What does that really mean, right? And so Snoopy has an answer for that. And this is what he says. I don't know, but I agree with it. <laughs> I don't know, but I agree with it. I agree with that. <laughs> a dog that's alive is better than a dead lion. Absolutely agree with it. To get to that point where you're reading Scripture and you just agree with it, even though you don't understand it, means that you love it and you trust it. See, we approach Scripture with our whole heart because we love it. And whatever it says, even if I don't understand it, I agree with it. And let me submit to you this morning, there is no one currently on planet Earth that completely understands the Word of God. Nobody. Nobody. There was only one person that understand it to 100%, and he lived 2,000 years ago. And because he understood it so well, they put him on a cross and killed him, right? And then he rose the third day because he is the word, right? But nonetheless, he, he was the only person. Nobody completely understands it. But here's the deal. The Bible isn't put here for you to completely understand. It's put here so that you will love it enough to live it. You love it enough to live it, so you love it. So to love the Word of God, there's one key thing that has to happen to you. To have your heart in tune with the Word of God, there's one key thing that has to happen to your heart, and this is it. Your heart has to be broken. Your heart has to be broken before you can love the Word of God because you have to be able to love your Savior before you can love the Word of God. Your heart has to be broken. 
It is only through a broken heart that the word of God can seep into the inside of your heart and actually do something with you. And the first place that you're broken is with your sins. See, your sin, you have to get to the place where you realize that there's a holy God and your sin is against that holy God and he's disappointed because you have sinned. There's a punishment coming for you because you sinned and you have sinned against a holy God. And that at some point has to break your heart or you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. If you prayed the sinner's prayer and didn't have a broken heart, you might, you are not saved. You don't just say, I want Jesus without saying, I have sinned and that's why I need him. Come on, church. That's the only way. So you, your heart breaks and you're like, my sin is so bad that I deserve the punishment. And then at that point, your, your heart is breaking because of your sin, but your heart breaks further because then you realize that Jesus Christ took the price for you on the cross of Calvary for your sins. And he was perfect. And then it breaks your heart further that he had to do that for you because you were not perfect. But he did that because he loved you. He came to this earth because he loves you. And it breaks your heart even further. And so you reach out to a savior and you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I am sorry that you had to go to the cross, but I am so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it that you bled and died for me and rose the third day. I ask forgiveness of my sins and I want you to come into my heart and be my savior. Save me from my sins. And it's at that point that your heart is broken enough to actually love Jesus enough to receive him as your savior. It starts with a broken heart. It starts with a broken heart. And then after that, your heart has to be broken as well. It's like, Salvation heals your heart, but then you decide to do some sins or stuff and you walk away from the Lord and then it has to be broken again so that you're drawn back to him. That's what, that, that's what happens. And so you approach the word of God with a heart that loves it and, the, and when your heart is broken, that is really when the word of God can get deep inside of you and change your life. See, we approach, the, we approach the word God because we love it. And, it. and like, let's say that your heart isn't broken. It's been broken in salvation, but now it's repaired, right? And, and the word of God is just laying on top of your heart. You love it. You're reading it. You're trying to get, you're trying to get a message where it moves you, right? You're trying to get that. And um, something happens in your life and your heart breaks. And that word of God is like right next to your heart. It's like right there because you love it. And your heart breaks. Well, what happens at that moment is that word that is very close to your heart seeps into the cracks of that heart that is broken. So when you go to scriptures, let's say that you find out some news that's not <clears throat> really positive about a family member and it breaks your heart for them. Someone dies early. I mean, I know people that die on that breaks your heart too, but someone that dies early really breaks your heart, really breaks your heart. And it breaks your heart on the inside because that's a family member that died early, but that word of God is there and it just seeps in and comforts your heart. You're broken. 
your heart is broken, but there's a depth of faith that comes when that word gets inside of your heart. It just seeps into your brokenness, and it just means more. It is the moment that your heart really grows and really becomes strong, even though it's broken, because that word is seeping in. You see, if you have something else lying up against your heart, leaning up against your heart, and it's not the word of God, and a tragedy happens, whatever that is will seep into your heart. Whatever it is will seep into your heart. This is why people get angry, because anger has been laid up against their heart, and when their heart is broken, it seeps in, and then they become very angry, because that is what was closest to their heart. This is why people become depressed. Now, I'm I'm not getting into the clinical stuff. I'm just telling you, this is why some people get depressed because something was leaning up against their heart that wasn't healthy when their heart was broken and it seeped inside of their heart. That's what happened. But when you are broken, when something happens in your life and it's a tough situation and your heart is broken and you have hidden the word of God in your heart and it's laying up against your heart, when that heart is broken, All of those devotions, all of those sermons that you love to hear, every time that your heart was moved, all of a sudden begins to seep inside of the depths of your heart and you find comfort, you find peace, you find strength even when your heart is broken. Because the key to really knowing Scripture is loving the Word of God and to really know it, you know it when you have a broken heart right? You know it. And so the Word of God at that point becomes your treasure. You, you treasure it above anything else in this entire world because you know, you know, it changes you for the better, and you know when the rubber he- meets the road, when the rubber hits the road, that's how you say that, when the rubber hits the road, you know that the Word of God is going to be there to comfort you and sustain you during those times. And with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading with verse 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Chapter 6, verse 21. And this is where it is. This is what it says. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you treasure the word of God, this is exactly where your heart will be. Right here. You treasure it. You'll seek it. You'll read it. You'll try to learn about it. You'll try to grow in it because this is where your heart is. So then there's another verse right after that one, verse 22. It says, the eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So this is talking about the eye. It's talking about being able to see or not being able to see, right? Being able to see 
are not being able to see. So something is clouding the vision to where you can't see, or there's enough light coming in and it's not cloudy and you can see. Now, forgive me for this illustration. Do not judge me. I'm not against dogs. But when I read this passage this week, this brought up a memory of a family member of mine that has a dog that is blind. Okay? The dog is blind. And I'll explain here in a moment. The dog's legs are like this. Like they don't, like the dog moves its body like this to get around the house or they pick it up. Okay? In my opinion, don't judge me for this, but in my opinion, the dog needs to be put to sleep. It's suffering, needs to be put to sleep. They will not put sleep, the dog to sleep. And this is coming from somebody, I don't really like dogs, I tolerate them, I think they're fine, I think they're lovely, I see them walking around the neighborhood, I've come a long way. I no longer fear them unless they're bigger than me. The ones that are bigger than me, I have a problem with, but the ones that are smaller, I'm, I'm a little more comfortable with them around me. I mean, I've had to come to this, but nonetheless, I, I do like them. They're God's creation. But here's this dog, and the dog just needs to be put to sleep. Let me explain something to you. This dog has been blind for, for a while, okay? And what they would do is they would just let the dog go outside on its own. So outside meaning that they would open the door, and by the way, I have permission to tell the story. They open the door, and there's a deck on the back of their house, the dog is blind, and so one day, the dog went out on the deck. Nobody was watching the dog. The dog went toward the ledge, and I know I'm smiling, but I feel for the dog. But the dog fell over, fell over onto the ground. That is why its legs are like this. The dog couldn't see. The dog went out, you know, and fell on the floor. This was not new information. For them, that the dog was blind, and this could possibly happen. The dog runs into walls, would run into walls, would run into people, would kind of sit in the middle of the living room trying to figure out where things was. The dog couldn't smell, so you had to take the dog to the food so that it would eat it, and sometimes it would eat it, sometimes it wouldn't. It depends on if it could figure out where the bull is. Do you, does anybody else feel for the dog? Do you see why I think it should be like, you know, right? Don't judge it. I mean, but I just think it's time for the dog to go. It's time for the dog just to, yeah. So, so this dog is running around. The dog can't see. So he fell, he fell off the deck and his legs are like this. And so, you know, the dog does, does that from now on. I submit to you this morning that the feelings that we have for the dog is the same feelings God has for you when your vision is cloudy. When you're going through life and you've allowed something to make your vision cloudy, your spiritual vision, and you're just walking around, not having the clarity of the word of God, not having that like impacting your life so you could actually see. And so you're not looking around and you fall off and you hurt yourself. You keep doing the same thing over and over again and you keep falling and hurting yourself. And you, you just can't move because your eye is not healthy. The reason it isn't healthy is because you've allowed stuff to cloud your vision, and so you're doing things wrong. You're running into walls. You can't figure out where, where the food is. You can't figure out all this kind of stuff, and you're in a bad condition, and it's because your eyes are cloudy. That's why it is. So 
what types of things makes our eyes as believers cloudy? What kind of things is that? Well, first of all, doubt. Doubt makes your eyes cloudy. When you doubt this, you doubt that, you doubt here, you doubt there, you doubt what's happening to you, you doubt the goodness of God, you doubt the, the scriptures and what they say, you, you doubt your friends, you doubt this, you doubt that. Doubt makes your faith cloudy. Like when you start doubting that the word of God really says what's right and wrong and we should agree with it, regardless if we understand it, once you start doubting that, that's the moment that your, your eyes become cloudy. You, you doubt things. And see, sometimes people allow doubt to fight the faith they could have had. Did you get that? Sometimes people allow doubt to fight the faith they could have had if they just hadn't doubted it. I submit to you this morning that you should doubt your doubts and not your beliefs. Doubt your doubts, not your beliefs. If you have to have something win in your bracket... Let faith win and your beliefs win, not your doubts. Send the doubts packing. Quit allowing doubts to cloud your vision to where you cannot live a life of faith. You can't live a life that Jesus wants you to live. So what makes doubt go away? Like, what is the answer to doubt, like when I'm doubting? What, what can I do? Well, the thing to clear up your vision is a thing called wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom clears up any time that you are doubting things. Wisdom does. Don't take my word for it, though. Take God's word for it. James chapter 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a dog that runs into walls and falls off a of decks. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That, that prayer right there is a surety. If you want a prayer answered in your life, Pray for wisdom. God will give it to you every time. Every time. Well, Philip, I've prayed for wisdom before and he didn't give it to him. Well, you weren't listening. You were not listening. You ignored it or you didn't agree with it and you didn't go for it. I guarantee you because God's word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach? He doesn't say no to that prayer. He says yes. And you accept the wisdom of the word of God and you let it uncloud your eyes so that you can see, so you can quit falling down with your doubts. So you can quit running into things with your doubts. So you don't feel like you're, you're tossed to and fro, to and fro, don't know what to believe. Ask for wisdom. That is the solution to doubts. Ask for it. Ask for it, and he will give it to you. Now, what else would cloud somebody's vision, spiritual vision? You know, the eye is cloudy, it's clarity. Well, real quickly, I'm not going to spend long on this. Sin. Sin. We all know this, right? 
You sin, it clouds your vision. You want to sin, it clouds your vision. It clouds your vision every time. And the solution to sin clouding your vision is to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and you will be able to see again. That is the solution to sin. We all know that sin clouds our vision. We ask forgiveness, God wipes us clean, we can see. So what's another thing that can cloud your vision? <clears throat> what's another thing? Well, feelings. <laughs> feelings. Feelings can cloud your vision very quickly. Yesterday, yeah, yesterday afternoon, <clears throat> um, Nicole and Quinn went uh, with the relatives. They were eating pizza. I was at home because I was studying, and it got to be supper time. And so I decided to go out and get something to eat. How many of you have been to Subway and got like the great garlic sandwich? The great garlic? Nobody? Just me. Same in the other and the other service, too. The great garlic, it's number eight. It's fabulous. I get it without tomatoes, and I put banana peppers on it. That's the only change I make. It's the great garlic. And if you are going to have a meeting with somebody you're uncomfortable with, it is the sandwich to get. Okay? And you breathe a lot, and the conversation will end quickly. So I got this sandwich, and I got Ms. Vicky's jalapeno chips, which are absolutely amazing. Yes, absolutely amazing. But Subway let me down. They didn't have the double chocolate chip cookie. Has anybody had that double chocolate chip cookie there? Now we're talking. Oh, it is to die for, that double chocolate chip cookie. I mean, if, if you just want to go plain and just do, you know, the regular chocolate chip cookie, okay, you're boring. But the double chocolate chip cookie is absolutely amazing. Well, they didn't have it. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I went to Food Lion, and I found Oreo sugar cookies that you can bake in the oven. Oh, my God. I was so excited. Got home, got the cookies out, put four of them on the cookie sheet. You see, Quinn's home. That's one. Nicole would be home later. That's another one. And then two for me because I'm not selfish. You know Two for me. So, so I put these cookies on there, so excited about them, put them in, let them cook. 14 minutes in, in the oven, they came out. I was finished with my sandwich while they were cooling. And you know cookies, when they come out of the oven and they're kind of just soft in the middle, and you, can, can everybody feel this right now? Like, you, you, oh, it was just so good, so good. I ate both of them and tried not to eat the other two because I was really trying to be good and, and let them have some cookies too. Well, about an hour later, I became very agitated. Have you ever had that happen? Right? And I became very, like, um, like irritated at everything around me. And I think, it's those cook I think it's those cookies, but because I can't have Reese's peanut butter cups, I'm not going to admit it yet. Okay, so, so I got just really agitated, and I was really, like, just irritated. I couldn't calm myself down. I was trying to calm myself down. It wasn't getting out of control, but I was, I was like, just, just, oh, just like this. And Nicole calls. So I'm already feeling agitated. I don't know why. I really don't know why. I think it's the food. Not really sure. She's on the phone, and it's one of those times where your wife just wants to say a lot of words. Do you know what I mean? Do you know? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? This is one of those times. And you're like, oh my, can we just, uh, 
Yeah. So, so I said, Nicole, I, I'm studying. Can I, can I get this off? She said, yes. Yeah. So we, we ended the conversation. I was so glad. And I studied a little bit more. I was studying a little bit more because I was trying not to do something bad. Do you know what I mean? I was trying not to, you know, hurt her feelings or whatever. I, w- I was trying not to do that. And so I got off the phone. I studied a little bit more. I got to where I couldn't study. So I went downstairs and I just sat in the recliner and took a nap. Because sometimes when you're irritated, the best thing you can do is go to sleep, okay? I got back up, and I was just fine, just fine after that. The reason I bring that up is because oftentimes people allow their emotions to guide their way. Instead of stepping back, looking at this thing clearly, and stepping back and saying, no, I've got to control my emotions so I do not hurt somebody's feelings, And sometimes feelings cloud our judgment and we let them, and then before too long, we're falling off the deck and we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting other people. That's what we're doing. Fear has the same effect, the feeling of fear. And I don't need to tell you again, but I'm gonna tell you because that's what God wants me to do. Over the past three years, fear has ruled our nation. And it still rules our nation to some extent. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Everything's bad. COVID's going to get us. The war's going to get us. This is going to get us. All this is just going to absolutely fall apart. And we are going to be in trouble. And fear takes over. And when fear takes over a Christian, there's no faith. There's no faith. Fear takes over and there's no faith. And so you have to figure out how to control your fear so that you can take care of the situation in front of you. I'm not saying that the nation's not going to fall apart, but what I am saying, if it does, I'm approaching it with the faith of God and not fear, because that's how you get through things. Here's a Peanuts comment. It's not as funny as the first one, but here it is. It says this, Lucy, boy, look at, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah, that it would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus, sound theology has a great way of doing that. Sound theology. So here's some theology for you. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, I don't have time to explain to you why, it's, why the love of money encompasses your entire life. Well, maybe I do for a little bit, okay? The reason people love money is because they find security in what they have. And I don't care if you have a lot of it or a little bit of it. A lot of people find their strength and their stability in the money that they have in the bank. If they don't have it, they're worried about stuff. Fair? Fair enough? And so their, their world can fall apart with this money thing at any given moment. Oh, I've got it. I might not get a check if I lose my job, if I do this. You know, my, wor- my world just might fall apart. But God says it doesn't matter if, your wor- if you think your world's going to fall apart or not. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
No matter what you're going through, God is with you. He's going to be there for you. And so the answer to a feeling of the world's falling apart around me with stuff I can't control is this. It doesn't matter because God is still sovereign and in control of the world. And he is coming back and that's good enough for me. And if things do fall apart for me, I know that I will not have to walk through those things alone. I don't have to walk through them alone. God is with me. The Lord is my helper if he feels like it is not a part of that verse. The Lord is my helper, period. I will not fear. I know it's a semicolon. I will not fear, done. What can man do to me? And the answer to that question is nothing at all because God is in control. And that is the answer to fear. And that brings us to our next thing that clouds people's vision, and that's earthly treasures. Earthly treasures. <clears throat> this, is what the sex, the <laughs> this is what the text says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Quinn was <clears throat> smaller and cute, he's handsome now, but he's not cute. He's not, he's not cute, right? Um, when he was cute, preschooler, we would go to my parents' house, and Quinn had started what's called a rock collection. Have any of your children ever started a rock collection? Like a rock collection? Yeah, rock collections. Yeah. So he was in my dad's gravel driveway, and a rock caught his attention. He reached down and gingerly picked up the rock and put it in his hand and rubbed it just a little bit and said, Dad, this is the greatest rock in the entire world. It's just the greatest rock. I said, well, if it's the greatest rock, you can keep it. So good, good. So he stuck that rock in his pocket. What we didn't know but was that during our visit there, he picked up several rocks. And so when he got home, his pockets were filled with these rocks. And every one of them was a special rock. Because his mother asked him, do you really need all these rocks? And Quinn said, they're just special, Mom. They're just special rocks. See, cute wins over a lot of times for this kind of stuff, right? Especially when they're little. So he had this rock collection of worthless rocks in our house, just worthless rocks. In fact, if a thief came in to rob us, they wouldn't take the rock collection. They would leave the rock collection there right? A moth would not get into the rock collection. It wouldn't destroy that particular rock collection, but it was so, so invaluable. Like nothing of value. He couldn't have sold it. You couldn't even like put it on a driveway and, you know, put rock on the entire driveway. It just wasn't enough. They were absolutely worthless. And I bring that up to say this, there are a lot of things people put their trust in that are just as worthless as my son's rock collection. There's a lot of things that people go after and they collect and they think is bringing them security that is just as worthless as that rock collection. And I would submit to you this morning that Jesus says, 
every treasure you lay up here on earth is equal to the value of my son's rock collection. Every single thing. The thing Jesus says is important is if you lay up treasures in heaven. It's not what you have here. It's what you're storing up there. So what in the world... Because the solution for this one is to store up treasures in heaven and not be so focused on what you have here. So how in the world do you store up treasures there? There's not really a stock market that you go to to do this. There's not a bank that you can deposit this stuff in. I mean, what in the world is that? So I started thinking, okay, well, Scripture, you know, talks about a wreath in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that doesn't fade. So you run the race to attain that prize, like that wreath that doesn't fade. Okay. James talks about the crown of life that you can receive from God, and that's a treasure that you can put in heaven too, right? That's, that's good. And so there's all these types of things that you can do. Character, you know, will put treasures up in heaven. But I don't know. To me, those, those things are just not as tangible. I want to be faithful to God. I want to run the race right. I want to do all of that. I want to attain that crown, all that kind of stuff. That's important. But it's, it's not as important as a treasure that I'm about to share with you. The number one thing that you can lay up in heaven that you will one day reap a benefit from is people. 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 The two most important treasures in my life currently that are going to be in heaven that I had something to do with is Aurora and Quinn. And there's no one else that matches that. I know that if I died today and went to heaven, they would not be far behind. I will see my children in heaven because they received Jesus. And it had to do with Nicole and myself getting them to church, telling them the gospel, and eventually they received Jesus as their savior. That is my treasure in heaven laid up there. I'm thankful Nicole's going to be there. That's not what I'm saying. I had nothing to do with Nicole's salvation. Nothing at all. She was witnessed to by somebody else and God saved her. But those two, I was able to give the gospel and I saw the benefit of the Holy Spirit drawing them to Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, for you, you need to start laying up treasures in heaven and you need to start with your family. You need to start with your family. You need to tell your family the gospel. You need to tell them that Jesus Christ died for their sins. You need to take them to that constantly, if you can, or when it feels like it's the right moment, but you need to make sure that you do it. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that that particular individual is going to be in heaven with you rather than separated from you for eternity. And at the end of the day, it's more important for people to be in heaven to me than it is for me to gain the crown of life. It is more important for me to see people that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as, my sa- as their Savior, not my, as their Savior, because of seeds that had been planted by some type of gospel presentation that the Holy Spirit used. It is more exciting for me to see someone like that than it is to get all the jewels that Jesus Christ would give me for any faithfulness that I might lay up in heaven for him that day. Is everybody with me? And you start with your family, and then you start out. You need to start looking at people as treasures that you can invest in heaven for a later time. That's how you need to look at people. 
They are valuable, very valuable, and you want to see them there. Here's a couple of reasons for that, and I really don't have to give these to you because I think you already know this. Because at some point in time, let me just give you one. At some point in time, they are going to face death of a loved one. And there's no more comforting thing for believers than to be able to say, I will see that treasure again in heaven. And there's some people you can't say that about because they either chose not to receive Jesus as their Savior or nobody ever took the time to really explain it to them so that they could get there. And that treasure is now, can I just say wasted? Can I just say wasted? Yeah. So earthly treasures in heaven. So to clear all that up, you don't focus on things here. However, I am going to say this. The Bible tells you that God gives you everything that you have. And it's okay to have money. It's okay to have the car that you want. It's okay to have the stuff that you have. What is wrong is when that becomes your goal rather than following Jesus. When you put more value in that than following Jesus, that is when you go wrong. And that brings us to the last one. And here it is. Your vision is cloudy when you're serving two masters. Two masters. The scripture says here in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That means you cannot serve God and something else at the same time. A couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, there was this thing, this commercial thing, where the Pepsi guy was drinking Coca-Cola. Do anybody remember those commercials? Well, they, they were impacted to two of us. Okay, you did? Yeah. So I have a picture of a guy. <laughs> it's the Pepsi guy drinking Coca-Cola. I just get a, get a big kick out of that. Do you know that there is a company policy that says when you have the Pepsi uniform on, you cannot drink Coke or you will be fired. Did you know that? Did you know that Coca-Cola has the same thing? If you have on the Coke, Coca-Cola garb and you're caught drinking a Pepsi, that you, you can be fired just because of that? It is a policy in their company. I get it. I get it. Because you can't serve two masters. Now, in your plain clothes, without the Pepsi logo, drink all the Coca-Cola you want. Get the Diet Coke, chug it down. With the Coca-Cola people, if you're in your plain clothes, yeah, buy Pepsi. It was probably on sale that week. And shame on Coke for not having the same sale at their store if they wanted you to drink it while you, is everybody with me? Like, while you're in plain clothes. But if you're in the clothes of Pepsi, don't be drinking Coke. And if you're in the uh, clothes of Coke, don't be drinking Pepsi. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. We are clothed as Christians, and you should not be drinking anything this world offers you. Nothing. If what you are doing does not exalt the name of your Savior, if what you are doing is considered sinful according to the word of God, 
you should not be doing it. You should not be doing it. You need to live as pure as you possibly can. You cannot serve two masters because you're going to love one and hate the other. And if you serve this world system because of your flesh, I can say this, the world system is going to win out most of the time. It just is. But if you are serving God and your heart loves the Bible and you read it every day for the Bible to move your heart because you're trying to get better for him and you're trying to follow him to the best of your ability, that is a life that is following one master and one master alone. But if your heart is somewhere else, you're not following Jesus. You're just not. So do not serve two masters. If you are, it's clouded your vision and you cannot see past the wall that you're about to hit in front of you. But if you just serve Jesus, your eyesight clears up. It does. Um, Friday evening, there was a basketball game between um, FDU and Purdue, right? FDU, and this is a picture of them, FDU was the 16th seed and Purdue was the number one seed. Now, you know, I don't know a lot about sports, don't know a lot about stuff like that. I get into basketball when it's tournament time because of the level of play. I, I just really enjoy that. But I am filled with a bunch of stupid trivia, right? Just stupid trivia that has nothing to do with how you play the game. It's just stuff that's kind of neat to know. And five years ago was the first time that a number one seed was knocked off by a 16th seed. And that team was Virginia that was beaten. Yeah, first time. This is a 16th seed that beat a number one seed for the second time in NCAA history. They did it. They did it. And my father-in-law, my father-in-law and I watched that game. It was a thrilling game. I had not picked FDU and nobody else had either. In fact, until that game, there was like 687 perfect brackets. But as soon as that game ended, there were no perfect brackets. They had all been just broken, absolutely broken because of that win right there. Nobody expected these people to win. And I watched that game. And this is just an observation on a TV screen. It may be right, it may be wrong, but this is a sermon. I'm using it as an illustration. When I watched that game, Purdue didn't seem to have their heart in the game. They were concerned they were going to lose, but they, weren't, they were not playing with their heart. But maybe I should put it this way. FDU was playing with more heart to win the game than Purdue was. And because of that, because of that, they won. They won. If Purdue, if, if, if Purdue had won that game, this is how this illustration would have gone this morning. Purdue won the game, but to me, FDU did because they had more heart in it. Is everybody with me? Because it is more important to me for you to have your whole heart into what you are doing than it is for me for you to achieve some type of achievement here on this earth. 
It is more important for you to do things with your entire heart and follow, follow whatever you're trying to do with your whole heart than it is for you to kind of just do things halfway, but then you happen to win. When you are living the Christian life, please don't live it halfway. Please don't live it halfway. Live it with your whole heart. Don't worry about if you're winning or losing over here. Don't worry about that. Because God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than your achievements on this earth. Because your achievements here on this earth is going to fade away. But your heart will be eternally his for eternity. Hmm. Yeah, your whole heart. So I don't, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if your vision is clear or if it's cloudy. But if it's cloudy, you have some business to do during this invitation. You can do it right where you're sitting. That, that's perfectly fine. But you need to pray, Father, I'm sorry for my doubts. So, I, I'm sorry that it's clouded my vision. I'm, I'm sorry for being fearful rather than faithful. You need to spend some time with him and ask him to give you the wisdom that, you're, that you need to gain clear vision so that you can follow him to the best of your ability. The altar is also going to be open, and I will be here as well to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for this message. Um, thank you for being the number one treasure that we have in heaven. I would first like to ask you, to help us love your word more, that you would help us love you more. I don't know the condition of anybody's heart in this room. I barely know the condition of mine. But what I ask in this moment is that for the people in this room that really want to love your word and really want to follow you, that you will wrap your arms around them in this moment and give them the strength and the wisdom that they need to do just that. For the people in this room that have realized this morning that their vision has been cloudy, it could be feelings, it could be doubt, it could be sin, it could be serving two masters, it could be whatever it is. I pray then in this moment, Holy Spirit will continue to work on their heart and that they will feel it softening and they'll reach out to you and they'll ask you for forgiveness for you to clear up their cloudy vision that they'll ask you to do a work in their heart and in their life today for those in the room that their heart has been broken for a very long period of time Pray that your word will seep into the depths of their heart and comfort their heart and bring them to a place of healing. So Father, we're counting on you to work because we want to follow you. We want to do great things for you and we want to witness so that we will see people we know in heaven. And so we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.